right, thank you musicians, that's good singing tonight. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, please, Ephesians chapter 1, and before I get into our message, I wanted to at least mention that uh, Pastor Rick is getting up now, and Children's Church is dismissed, and uh, if you are a child, or a child at heart, you're free to go with Pastor Averett now. Land Lakes Christian School, we're winding down our seasons for our volleyball and soccer. Basketball starts up in November, and uh, our varsity volleyball team won the, uh, their bracket in the Final Four this last Saturday, so they're going on to a championship game next Saturday. And uh, if you want to see some good volleyball, come out and see our varsity volleyball team it's an away game, not here. Um, where's it at? It's a Providence, right? Providence Christian School, Providence Baptist Church down in the Brandon area. But they are going for their fifth, their fifth conference title in five years. So they've won it four years straight. And it's not like there's just four or five schools in the conference. It's a good-sized conference. Uh, so we're, we're encouraged and looking forward to that. Our soccer team and our JV volleyball teams, they have their uh, final four, so to speak, uh, this Tuesday. And those are both home games. So if you want to come see a, a soccer game uh, and a JV girls volleyball games, both of which should be very competitive matches, uh, they're here Tuesday. So uh, appreciate our coaches and the work they put in with our teams and what a great job they do with our students. So you're in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and uh, I, read, I, read some, I read some commentaries on Ephesians chapter 1. I kind of happened upon it, um, I wouldn't say by accident, but in God's divine providence. Um, we had a staff appreciation dinner here earlier this week, not here, but we went to a restaurant, a, a nice fine dining type of restaurant, and I wanted to share a few thoughts of just gratitude and thankfulness for our staff. And, uh, you know, like any good preacher, you got to look up a Bible verse to go with it, you know. So you have to share something that will uh, warm their souls and inspire them, because what I have to say may not, but God does promise us that his word will not return void. So, so when in doubt, go to Scripture. And uh, I was looking in Ephesians, and I found a, a verse that, I had run into several times. It's a fairly familiar verse. And uh, it's, it's Ephesians 1.15, if you see it there. It says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks to you. And I really wanted to stop there. And actually, when I was talking to my staff, we did kind of stop there. It was a busy restaurant and not real conducive to you know, uh, three points in a poem or whatever. Uh, but I just, couldn't, I just couldn't stop there in my own Bible study. So I went on, and as I was preparing for tonight, I thought, you know what, I need to, I need to find the period at the end of the sentence because there's no period right there. Of course, punctuation uh, in the English is not inspired by God. And King James, when he translated this with his 
uh, his entourage of translators uh, were not inspired by God when they put in the commas, the semicolons, and the periods. Uh, but I wanted to follow it through and see where it took me. And it took me all the way down to verse 23 before there was finally a period. Uh, I don't know. I'm, you know, I've used illustrations in preaching over the years. Uh, being that I'm an educator, I'll use some math illustrations. I taught math for nine years, and I'm a history buff, so sometimes I'll bring history into things. And uh, I remember a couple times I brought a couple a, a science illustration here or there. But when it comes to English and grammar, I'll be honest with you, it's not my first love. Where's Mrs. Shelburne? Oh, hi, Mrs. Shelburne. How are you? <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> in fact, when I, was, when I was doing my undergraduate work, I heard that, and when I was doing my undergraduate work, I, uh, I took three years of Greek, and that's really when I got a good handle on English grammar is when I took Greek. And I had a biblical languages minor in my undergrad. Uh, but, I, but I was looking through this passage, and, and I was just having a hard time with it. Um, there's 11 ands before there's a period. Does that make it a run-on sentence? And then there's that, what, which, and when, and I, I racked my brain. I even looked up a few things trying to decide whether they were subordinating conjunctions, adverbial phrases, adjective clauses, relative or demonstrative pronouns. And I decided that I'm better at word studies than grammar. So you might have to help me out later, English teachers, Ms. Hanks and Mrs. Shelburne. Uh, but I don't want to take verses out of context either. And so... I want to look at what we should be thankful for, but in the context of this passage. Um, let me lay a little groundwork here. Um, reading first off verse 15, follow along with me, please. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you for making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. Verse 19, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead? and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is, not, that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Period. Let's have a word of prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your word. And I thank you, Father, that as promised, your word does not return void. And I thank you for what you showed me through this study. I pray, Father, that I could share it with our church family tonight, and it would be a blessing and encouragement to them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
A quartet of men left Rome in the year A.D. 62. They were bound for the province of Asia. Now it's referred to as Asia Minor. Uh, these were four persons with sublime compositions, one man said, of the Christian faith. Precious documents that became invaluable not only to the people they were written to, but even to us today. Rome didn't comprehend what was in those four letters delivered by four men uh, from an unknown pr prisoner. Had they understood, they may have apprehended them and confiscated them. Um, they were kind of uh, Paul's heart while he was in prison in Rome. And when they bed, said farewell to him, he had given each one of them a letter. We refer to them as epistles. And they were written uh, by the Apostle Paul. We call them the prison epistles because they were written while he was in prison. He was awaiting his hearing before Nero, uh, who was the Caesar at the time. Uh, Paul, who was a Roman citizen, he appealed his case directly to Nero. The four men were these men, Epaphroditus, who was from Philippi, and he took the letter, the epistle to the Philippians. He was the delivery man, so to speak. Tychicus delivered this letter to the Ephesians. Uh, Epaphras was from Colossae, and he took the letter, the epistle to the Colossians. And then Onesimus, Onesimus was a slave, and he took the letter uh, to Philemon, who was his master at the time. So four letters delivered. The Ephesians uh, church, the church at Ephesus, was founded during Paul's first missionary journey. He was a church planter. Paul founded the church. Uh, after Paul spent 18 months in Corinth, he then visited Ephesus. And if you remember in Acts 18, he met with Aquila and Priscilla. And uh, that, that was in Ephesus. Paul stayed there for just a short time, but he promised to return. Well, later he did return. Uh, Aquila and Priscilla stayed there. Paul came back later, and Paul actually uh, returned there during his third missionary journey and stayed there, I didn't know this, for three years. So this church at Ephesus wasn't just another one of the churches Paul visited. Paul started the church with the help of Aquila and Priscilla, and Paul spent three years at the church. We don't know that he was necessarily, quote, the senior pastor there, but he preached there. Uh, other uh, famous preachers that were there at the church of Ephesus were Apollos, even John, and Timothy, all preached at the church at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is the, is the only New Testament church that received a letter, an epistle, written by more than one Bible author. Does anybody know the other one? John, in the book of Revelation, right? He wrote to the church of Ephesus. So as I'm looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, in chapter 1, verse 1, he starts out like so many of his epistles and says, what's great, uh, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, um, to the faithful Christ Jesus. And verse 2 says, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father. Very typical beginning to the book. 
But then when he gets down to verse 15, he's telling them how thankful he is for them. I think of, of a pastor, a missionary, or um, even put myself in those shoes where I have been at other ministries. In fact, I, I've served on pastoral staff and, and school administrator at four other ministries before coming here. I've been here, this is my 19th year here. Before that, the Lord moved us around a little bit every three to five years or so. Uh, things would change within a church ministry. Some of those churches changed while we were there, and we felt the Lord leading us on to, to a different area. Uh, but I know when, when I look back, and I, I visited one of those churches, a church that I was at from 1991 to 1993. I visited that church about two years ago, and I ran into a young man that was in when I was there, he was in third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade, but he was one of those kids that you just kind of took a liking to. His dad was a deacon. His mom worked in the, in the school. I knew the family very well. In fact, I helped them put a roof on their house. Uh, but uh, you, you make connections like that over the years. And when I stopped in the church, just by happen, happenstance, the same pastor wasn't there. The same church secretary wasn't there. They had a lot of turnover. When I got there, this young man, who is not a young man anymore, he's an adult man with a wife and child of his own, children of his own, came and greeted me like he had just, I mean, not like it had been 20 years, like he had just seen me last week. And it really warmed my soul. That's what we call a warm fuzzy, and, you know, if you get those warm fuzzies. But here's Paul, who spent work ministering in a church. He's, he's thankful, he's grateful for the, the growth and the faithfulness he sees in, the, in uh, the believers there at Ephesus. And as I'm trying to share here on Thursday night how thankful I am for my staff, I'm, I think of other people that I'm thankful for that I probably don't tell often enough. I'm thankful for an adult lady who was a babysitter for me when I was elementary age and took me to a vacation Bible school in Jasper Bible Church. Uh, no, Fairfield Baptist Church. Jasper was where we went right after that. Um, and I heard the message of salvation and accepted Christ as my Savior. Uh, that lady, sweet lady, dear friend of mine, to this day, she's battling cancer right now. I think of parents that I'm thankful for. A dad who taught me how to work hard taught me a good work ethic to deny yourself and help others, serve others. Uh, I was very close to my dad growing up. I was not as close to my mom, but since then, I've grown very close to my mom. And to see the love that she has and the way she looks out for others and just looks for ways to be a blessing and a help to people. I'm thankful for people like that, aren't you? I'm thankful for a grandmother that loved to have fun. And she would, she would spread love all around to all of her grandkids, dozens and dozens of them. I think 34 or 39, we lost track at some point. She had a lot of grandkids. I have a lot of cousins. But she was always there for me. She, you know, she would come and she'd, she'd pick you up and take for your, you for a ride. And before you knew it, you were at her house working in her garden. I thank the Lord for a math teacher in high school that uh, helped me out when I was down. For an, for an uncle that stepped in 
when my dad went home to be with the Lord. I thank the Lord for friends in ministry over the years that have, that have, again, I've been at several ministries, friends that have worked with me, alongside me, friends that have been over me in the ministry, friends that have been under me in the ministry. You know, working at that many schools and having that many employees, I have to write a lot of reference letters. <laughs> Did you ever think of that? <laughs> but I think of people that, I, that mentored me in college and those that I rubbed shoulders with while working on graduate degrees and networking that we did uh, and the other churches I ministered unto and those that influenced me and helped me, whether it be spiritually or professionally. And I'm thankful for those people. Do you have people like that in your life? Paul's looking at the church of Ephesus here and saying, thank you for your faithfulness. So we're going to look first at man's thankfulness. I know, long introduction. Man's thankfulness, and that's in Ephesians 1, verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... Now, there's, there's a lot of breaks in here. And, and again, I'm not going to tear apart the grammar because I can't. Yeah, it would be a really neat assignment to diagram this sentence. I mean, whoo, that would take a couple pages, wouldn't it? Um, but I want to do a little word studies with you quickly. We're going to do kind of an exegesis, so to speak. You know the diff- what an exegesis is? An exegesis is your pulling out. You're pulling out the meaning of the text. So I can't do it grammatically, but, I can, but, but I'm good at looking up words, okay? So wherefore also after I heard of, Paul heard, he heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus. That word he heard there, the Greek word for it is translated to hear, or it's also translated to be reported. So Paul's like, okay, this was reported to me. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith is that, that very simple word that's used over and over in Scripture for faith. Pistis, pistuo, uh, however you want to pronounce it in Greek, whatever form it's in, whatever the conjugation is. Um, but it's talking about, first and foremost, reliance upon Christ for salvation. And I hope everybody here tonight's accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior realizing that you're a sinner, that Christ died to pay the penalty for your sins. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. It's not by works of righteousness, which I have done, but according to his grace. He saved us. And if you confess your sins, ask Jesus to save you, he will. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If we, by simple faith and trust in him, accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, trusting him and him alone for salvation, we can have an eternity in heaven. Paul heard of the church's faith while he was in prison. But beyond that, it's not just faith for salvation. Another, another possible translation of that word. Now, when I say possible translation... You look up the word and how it's used in the Bible, but also how it's used in other classical works of the day. 
The Bible was written, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, which is common Greek. And so Greek was also written for sales receipts and uh, regular literature and book and transactions and, and, and mortgage payments. And the language was used, just like today, our language is used for many things. So when you look at what that word could also mean, it's not always just a go to the thesaurus and find another word. It's to find out how it was also used in other venues in that day. And so another translation of the word faith there is a moral conviction of religious truth or a constancy in such profession. Now, if you think about that, it's the moral conviction and your constancy, your consistency. So not only do you have faith, salvation faith, but could we say maybe they were also living by faith? You know, that same faith that saved us is the same faith that God tells us to live by. In our, in our, I like the phrase there, moral conviction. That I'm, I have moral convictions that I'm trusting Christ, not just for my eternal, my eternal reward in heaven someday, but for my daily walk and trusting him. So, they, so Paul says, Wherefore also I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love unto all the saints. That word used there for love is agape. It's that unconditional love, that love that God to- tells us to have towards other because that's the kind of love that he had for us. That unconditional, don't expect anything in return kind of love. Paul heard of their love for all the saints. Verse 16, he says, Because I heard of those things, I ceased not to give thanks for you. Now, that's all I needed. I just needed a period there so I could make my point. Uh, (laughs) That word cease there is also translated in other places in the Greek to stop, to quit, desist, to come to an end. Paul says, I'm not ceasing. I'm not desisting. I'm not letting my prayers for you come to an end. Do you ever have someone ask you to pray for them and you pray for them for two or three days and then you kind of forget it for a while? I, I don't know about you, but years ago I just had to keep a prayer list written down. There's the value of the, the prayer list that, that um, the church puts out every Wednesday. I think that goes out electronically also. So if you need to remember to pray for people, that's a good way to remember it. I now keep a, a list on my electronic devices, so I always have it in my pocket. Uh, very helpful. And I've made it a habit of as soon as somebody asks me to pray for them or as soon as I say I'm going to pray for you, I do it right then. Now, that's dangerous if you're driving down the road, okay? Go ahead and keep your eyes open. You know you can pray to the Lord while you're driving down the road with your eyes open. It's better that way, okay? Uh, but obviously, when we're in prayer time in, in public or, or by ourselves, it's better to close our eyes in reverence to the Lord. Um, another thing I try to do is whenever I receive an email from someone, I pray for that person. I can't do it with text because I get way too many texts. But to me, that just jogs my memory to think of that person and, and pray for them. So if you want me to pray for you more, send me an e- No, don't send me an email. Okay. <laughs> but Paul says here that he doesn't stop praying for them. He doesn't cease. He ceases not to give thanks. That word give thanks there is a familiar word. 
we don't use the word much here in our church, but it's, it's Eucharisto. It's where the Catholics get the word Eucharist, which is the Lord's Supper. Isn't the Lord's Supper when we give thanks? It helps us in remembrance of what Christ did for us. So here's Paul using the same word, the same phrases to, you know what? I cease not to give thanks, and it literally means to be grateful, to express gratitude towards. Uh, specifically, it's used several times re referring in classical Greek to say grace before a meal. So just as you would you know, pray for your meal and you're taking the Lord's Supper and you're remembering something, Paul says, I cease not to, rem not to forget. Uh, I remember to give thanks for you. That's a blessing, isn't it? Now, there's no period there, so it keeps going. And so he says, making mention of you in my prayers. So how is it that Paul is being thankful for the church in Ephesus? Regularly, he's making mention of them in his prayers. That's how thankful he is for them. Everything that follows now has to do with Paul making mention of you in my prayers. Uh, making mention has to do with recollection and remembrance. Again, he's remembering them. Uh, so in summary, for man's thankfulness, I just have this thought. Anything, in fact, everything we have to be thankful for came directly from God. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh from above, cometh down from the Father. So secondly, what else we see in this passage is God's wisdom. Paul says, I'm thankful for you. And then he says, I'm thankful for you making mentions in my prayers that God, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge in him, that your eyes would understand would be enlightened. What is the hope of his calling? What is the riches of his glory? Just verse after verse after verse. Because I'm thankful for you, I'm praying for you, and here's what I'm praying for you, that you'll know God's wisdom. Don't we need God's wisdom in this world today? Paul's praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom. That word glory is the word we get doxology from, dogza, having to do with dignity, glory, honor, praise, and worship. Is that how we view our God? In God's wisdom... He's given unto us the spirit of wisdom. He's given us that same spirit of wisdom that he has. Um, that word spirit there, um, it's, it's the standard word for spirit, pneuma. Uh, but there's a couple other ways it's used back in those, that first century when the Bible was written, referring to a rational soul or a mental disposition. Uh, so... If you play with words a little bit, you know, that uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of, uh, of, all, of glory, he may give unto us the mental disposition of wisdom, the rational soul, the spirit of wisdom. God gives us that wisdom. But not just wisdom, and that word for wisdom is, is just the standard word for wisdom. It's not the same as understanding. Wisdom is how to use understanding and knowledge and apply it to our lives. Um, and he, he says, in addition to wisdom, we also need uh, revelation in the knowledge of him. 
So there's the revelation, which is a manifestation, uh, the enlightening, the appearing of knowledge. And knowledge has to do with full discernment, recognition, uh, to be able to discern good from evil. That's what God wants for us in his wisdom. And that's what wisdom helps us do, discern between good and evil. God reveals that to us. Verse 18 says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, literally to brighten up, to illuminate. Think of that, uh, to be enlightened. You ever go for, go for a walk in a dark woods? I remember we had a cabin up in northern Michigan. We'd take a flashlight, and this was before the LED headlamps, okay? Where, where we're walking, oh, I don't know. You know, when you're a kid, it feels like four miles, but it was probably 100 yards from the cabin out to the pump. And I can't walk over to the pump right now because I don't have a lapel mic on. I have to stay behind the microphone. But you get behind that pump, and you've got to pump it. You know what you have to do first? You have to prime the pump. All right, we got some old-timers here. Good. You have to pour some water in, get the leathers swelled up, and prime the pump. Well, you want that flashlight to illuminate because you don't know what else is in that pump. Okay? spiders, frogs, you know, you don't want that in your, in your drinking water. Uh, when I think of, of something being illuminated or to shed light on something, uh, that was kind of the illustration that came to mind. You know, you, you want to be able to see where you're going, what you're eating, what you're drinking, what you're partaking of. Teachers, I kind of think of it this way, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. You know when you're teaching and all of a sudden that student is, has that, ah, that aha moment, what do we say? The light bulb. Light bulb came on, right? Um, so the eyes of our understanding being enlightened. This is what God wants for us. Um, goes on to say, what, what's being enlightened that we can know, uh, that we can know the, uh, being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and then what are the riches of his glory uh, in his inheritance for the saints. So we have the hope of his calling, that's to anticipate with pleasure and expectation, a confidence, almost like an invitation of his calling. And what are the riches of his glory? The riches have to do with wealth or fullness of wealth, abundance, valuable bestowment. That God has something really special planned for us, folks. And in his wisdom, he wants us to know those things. He wants us to be enlightened about those things. Look at verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? The exceeding greatness of his power. This word is, is hooper ballo. You ever played hooper ballo? Um, now, it's not like horseshoes or corn toss, where you get partial points for being close, Okay. Hooperbalo, that's the Greek word that's translated here, um, literally means that exceeding greatness, that it's, that it's to surpass or go beyond the usual mark. More like when you're throwing a javelin and you go way past in an Olympic event what's expected. Um, that's the word used here. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe? God's power is exceedingly great. The magnitude of it is great. God will give us his wisdom that we may know him, have confidence in him, and earnestly anticipate the future he's planned for us. 
and the wisdom goes right into the next verse, God's power, according to the working of his mighty power. Everything that follows in the next few verses is talking about God's power. Verse 20 says, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. For above all, that word above is referring to higher in rank, for above all, and it's talking about Christ here, for above all principality, power, might, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Wait a minute, Jesus' name is above all those names. And, and we know that. Uh, what, are, what are the great names in world history? Well, I looked it up. Jesus was on every list I found. Uh, Albert Einstein was on most of those lists. Paul of Tarsus. Buddha, Confucius, Abraham Lincoln, Isaac Newton, Muhammad, Johannes Gutenberg, Martin Luther King Jr., George Washington, Louis Pasteur, Mahatma Gandhi, Winston Churchill, Kai Lun, Chinese who invented paper, Christopher Columbus. A lot of great names on those lists, but one name the Bible says is Far above all, there in verse 21. Far above all. Of course, that's Jesus' name. And, and they list principalities, power, might, dominion, every name. I looked up each one of those, and it could be said, if you wanted an alternate definition or thesaurus, it could be above all chief authority, force, or mastery, or government. Jesus' name is above all those things, all those powers, all those possible works, authorities, uh, wonderful works, every name that is named. In fact, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Verse 22, he says, he's put all things under his feet. Everything in this world and the world to come is going to be under Christ's feet. It's subordinate to him. They're in inferior positions to Christ. God's given him the head, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. That whole all in all phrase talks about completion or so fully satisfied or all thoroughly whole to do kind of a transliteration type there. Everything we need comes through the wisdom and power of God. My summary statement for that is that the power of God is above all powers, bestowed upon Christ, and by the way, it's available to us. Isn't that awesome? The wisdom and power of God, verse 18 and 19, we see it as it's seen in his saints. Verses 20 and 21, we see the wisdom and power of God as it's seen in his son. And then in verse um, 22 and 23, we see how the wisdom and power of God is seen in his church. My prayer to you, for you today, is like Paul, we want to be thankful for, thankful for you, but of all the things to be thankful for, through my little study here, I learned that God's wisdom and God's power 
should be on the top of my list. I need God's wisdom in my life to walk the daily walk. I need God's power in my life to serve him faithfully. If, uh, if I go throughout my day and don't call upon God's wisdom, don't rely upon God's power, what makes me different from someone who's not a Christian? So that's my challenge for you tonight. I pray that it's been a challenge to you and a blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd give us a new vision of your power and your wisdom. Help us, Father, to uh, be thankful for one another, yes. And Lord, I, I thank you for um, the time that I was able to spend in realizing those things that we, we should be grateful for. But I, Lord, Lord, as I look into your word, it's not just thankful for one another or thankful for a church or thankful for people. It's thankful to, thankfulness towards you who giveth all things. We pray, Father, that you would help us now to walk from these halls. And help us, Father, to leave this place trusting in your word, relying upon your strength to walk the Christian walk and be a testimony for others that others would see Christ in us and desire what we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.